Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily presented by Ticketmaster. Make more memories live. And, of course, you have the Penn Medicine Assist, which uh, we'll get back to hopefully on Tuesday, where there'll be some assist on goals. They don't give out the assist for shootout goals. But the this season, Flyers teaming up with Penn Medicine with the Penn Medicine Assist, which means for every Flyers assist, Penn Medicine and the Flyers are donating 30 pounds of food to local communities in need. It is a Monday. That means it's a Monday with Meltzer. From PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it is Bill Meltzer. Bill, it's been quite the week of Flyers hockey. Very, very, very busy week this week. Uh, you know, gamut of emotions this past week. Um, you know, I, I think the the biggest thing ultimately is as we're recording this is that uh, that pretty much every team they've, they've played twice. If they've lost the first one, they, they've come back and won the next time around. I think that that level of resiliency has been um, one of the you know, one of the positives so far. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, Bill. I, I put this tweet out that you know the Flyers have been great in revenge. Uh, they go to Vegas, they lose that heartbreak game. When they get Vegas at home, they beat them. They have a seven fourteen points percentage. <sighs> they beat the Kings. Beat them in Philadelphia. They went to LA and beat them with a seven sixty three points percentage. Canes, they did. Uh, they they lost in Philadelphia, one in Carolina. We'll see them Tuesday, five seventy nine points percentage. Sabers four seventy six points percentage. Ducks with a four fifty, and of course the Islander game on Saturday night with a five fifty points percentage. Let's focus in on that Islander game, Bill, because you know they wanted to make the nets bigger. They wanted to shrink the goalies' equipment. They wanted more goals, but boy, that was about as exciting of a, a hockey game as I've seen in a long time because there was so much tension in the game and no margin for error. Yeah, um, won't do many, many goaltenders duels better than that one. Yeah, that was beauty. You know, um, you know uh, the uh, the Flyers made some adjustments on the you know, uh, kind of on the fly between between Friday and Saturday. Um, you know they uh, and understandably so. Uh, John Tortorella and his staff they were alarmed by the quality of chances they were giving up. Uh, particularly in, in the Rangers game, even even the first game uh, against the Islanders, um, it was uh, it was a game where the Flyers came back from two to nothing and three to one, and they actually controlled I think the the majority of the play. But a they were playing against Shuster, uh, rather playing against Sorokin, and and b um, they were giving up some pretty darn good chances in that one too, where they didn't really give Carter Hart much of a chance on their second or third goal. So they were trying to. Um, you know the 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 backdoor goal in particular, I think, was, was kind of worrisome. Uh, some some of the things that were happening last year in some of these games were, were kind of creeping back in, and they adjusted it. Um, you know, the the Flyers really tightened things up defensively. They had a much better puck support, um, much harder to beat through the neutral zone, um, harder harder to, to generate rushes against, and even even playing a bit more of a defensive. Kind of you know, what you call defensive style of play. Flyers had plenty of puck possession in this game too. The Flyers really, other than the, maybe the first few minutes of the first period, controlled most of that game. So that was that was pretty impressive to see. Yeah, to kind of bounce back and you know do what they've done for the majority of the season with that quick play and transition, despite the fact that that aggressiveness, because they weren't recognizing Bill that you know you know they weren't just the wingers weren't seeing it or the forwards weren't seeing it to 
you know, cover for a defenseman that was being aggressive at the line to defend it, whether that was in the offensive zone or the neutral zone. And that's what caused, you know, their own aggressiveness used against them to cause those odd man rushes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that that third Rangers goal on, on Friday was extremely alarming. Um, you know, it, it starts out with a defensive zone faceoff for, for the Rangers. Uh, Paling had a scoring chance next so the next faceoff is deep in deep in the Rangers' end. Rangers win the faceoff. Puck goes behind their net. Uh, you see that all the time, but you don't don't often see you know the, a team go from behind their net all the way two hundred feet, almost two hundred feet, and, and score. Um, there were so many breakdowns in that play. You had um, you know the well they beat your forecheck too easily. Um, you had not you had insufficient support up high. Um, you're, you're the Guy up high in that situation uh, was was Owen Tippett. You had as you just as you just referred, you know, just just referenced um, uh, Travis Sanheim. He was aggressive at the blue line, which is something they they've been wanting to do. They've been wanting to challenge the exit there, and a lot of times it's worked. Um, there was too easy of an exit. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're on the wrong side of the puck. Um, you didn't get you didn't get the any back checking. From your forward because uh, because Tippett didn't get back and your defenseman getting back Sandheim didn't get to the near side post which is his one job coming back so structurally everything collapsed on the one play and it's too easy of a goal you allow and that was that was a killer goal in that game now you know that that was um, now all of a sudden it's three to nothing Flyers did get one back they got they no further than that but but these kind of breakdowns uh, were starting to happen too much. Those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, can be teaching tools too. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned this, um, I mentioned this the other day on, on Twitter, you know, dude, that, that whole sequence, the, all that whole series of breakdowns used to be um, Gary Dornhofer would always telestrate those in the intermissions. He would. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that, that was a, pro, that was a part you know, stop it right there. All right, let her go. You know, there, yeah. there were so many, there were so many breakdowns from, one end of the ice to the other that, uh, you know, so, so many opportunities to not have that happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be the, the Flyers obviously can't, can't afford to get scored on that way. Uh, like you got to give your goalie, you got to give your goalies more of a chance than that. So it's, uh, it, it's something that they recognized and they've adapted to. I, I would expect also against Carolina on Tuesday where you have, probably the number one puck possession team in the NHL. It's going to be crucial as to how the Flyers uh, play when they don't have the puck. Um, that that uh, they, they played two two really tight games with uh, with Carolina. They won one, they lost one. But but uh, as, as you move further here, when you have games like these, it's crucial how, how you play without the puck. And, and so uh, some of those some of those adjustments you saw on on Saturday need to continue as as the as a pretty tough schedule moves forward here. Yeah, that you know the funny thing is too is is that exit from the zone for the Rangers was SOP. That was standard operating procedure. Yeah. It was a simple to the winger center curl, and off they went. It wasn't like it was some insane stretch pass that beat the coverage, and and that makes it you know albeit a little bit more yeah. alarming as well. Um, it was a pretty standard operating procedure uh, for breakouts when it when it comes to exiting the zone. Uh, Built the big storyline Saturday, 
you know, was the goaltending of both guys. Sorokin was fantastic in the game, busier than Arison. He had 40 shots that he saw in the game, and Arison saw 24, but there was a lot of quality in there as well. But Sam Arison, you know, in his first couple of games this year, we were wondering, is he going to be able to adapt to being a backup? You know, that's a hard thing to do when you're used to playing multiple games a week, staying sharp, staying ready, both physically, mentally, and with your game dialed in is one of those things that I've always said is easier said than done. But in the last five games, you know, since he started the year, uh, in his last five games, he's now a 4-1 record, a 1.6 goals against average and a 937 save percentage, and includes that shutout against uh, uh, the New York Islanders. He looks like he is just reading the game extremely well. And maybe, you know, some of those hiccups in the beginning of the season taught him some lessons on on how to be prepared and give your team quality starts as a backup. Yeah, and I think there's always that game of uh, adjust and counter-adjust. Yep. You know, he he kind of snuck up on the NHL a little bit last year, the beginning, had the, the, the run of wins. I don't think anybody had a book on him. Um, then you, you know, you go around the league, there's video on you. They adapt. Um, I go back to the, to the game against Dallas. Uh, it's his first start of this year where they were picking him apart, um, to over his glove. Um, and 19 days between when he played in the preseason in that game too. Yeah. And so there was was a long layoff in there too. And that certainly, that certainly was a factor too. Um, so I think that between between Sam and um, and Kim Dillabaugh and the just getting his reps in and, and watching video and and uh, no you know starting to get starting to get adapted to his schedule when he's likely to start too yeah um, you know, they're having you know, so far the goaltending uh, rotation has worked out where you could pretty much go in predicting who was going to start just based upon. Um, you know, like like this past Saturday, well, you knew it was the you knew it was the third game in four nights. You knew it was the back half of uh, of a back to back. So you could look at a week ahead and okay, that that's probably going to be one of Urson's games. Um, so that I think that's helped too. There's been a, there's been some predictability. Uh, there isn't there isn't always that. Uh, you know, the Flyers did have, but it almost almost was a blessing in disguise when uh, when Carhartt was you know missed that little bit of time but with an injury and with the illness. Uh, because it, it got Sam into a few more games that probably he probably wouldn't have started. Might have yeah. gotten one of those. The games, uh, the games that Cal Peterson got, I think they would have been Sam's games instead and, and reversed. So I think that that ultimately helped him. And and now that uh, now that he's fallen into a little bit of rhythm, we're seeing we're seeing a, a very confident goalie, and, and we're seeing that he you know he's adjusted and. Uh, you know, and, and it's not just numbers wise too. Like, like I thought you, you and I were talking after the Columbus game that he didn't see a lot of shots in that game, but man, he was sharp. Yeah, and and this this just it was the next step from that. Yeah, I thought he was incredibly patient in the game against the Islanders, and you know, out of all the saves he made, he made some really dynamic saves moving laterally. But I think the one save in overtime where he didn't leave his post is the one that I'm impressed with the most because it would have been so easy to lean because there was a guy working towards the back door and he didn't lean. It just ended up being a nothing burger shot into him, but he never leaned off that post. Um, Bill, one of the things I was concerned with, with Rasmus Ristolainen coming back is, is the team, is the coaching staff going to have to go through the process they went through last year, where it was, for lack of a better term, maybe corralling Risto 
to play within some parameters, not overrun plays to make the big hit, not take himself out of position, break down the structure. And I was wondering if we we're going to have to go through all that again, especially combined with the layoff to start the year. But he came back in, and I thought he played with a lot of parameters. And I thought we saw very similar to Risto the the final two thirds of last year. What'd you think of his first game? Uh, I was I was very pleasantly surprised uh, <laughs> with Risto's first game. Uh, I was expecting considerable rust. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he was only he only got into one full contact practice. Um, he'd been skating on his own. He'd been skating in the yellow jersey but he had only one practice um, with the, the whole team. And uh, because, because of the way the Thanksgiving schedule worked, you know, you're in, uh, you're in Elmont on Wednesday, Thursday is Thanksgiving day that you don't practice. Then you have the back-to-back Friday, Saturday. So I thought, okay, well maybe they're, maybe, maybe they'll hold him into this week, get him into Monday's practice. And then you might see him. Um, and he didn't skip a beat. Um, he, he played with, played with a lot of, lot of structure. Um, I was actually, and a lot of times a lot of, you'll see, you'll see rust with the puck, uh, a, a couple of really bad turnovers and, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of typical if somebody's coming back in. I think we saw, I think we saw a little bit of that with, with Mark Stahl when he first oh, came yeah, back in after missing a month. Um, he had a turnover early in the game and, um, uh, that one ended up in the net. That was the first game against the Islanders. Um, so I mean, you, you kind of expect it, and you just you just deal with it, and then you hope each game gets a little better than that. And I, I you know, I, I it was actually it was actually better than I thought it was. I'm like better 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 than I, that I hoped for going into that game. So that that was really encouraging to see that right back off the bat. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when guys come back after that or first game of the year, and it's pronounced into the season, they, they as they say, they would they chop the puck up. <laughs> Yeah, there. They just can't get a handle on it. Uh, Bill, one of the things we saw in the Islander game for the first time in a long time was Noah Cates on the wing. Well, I thought that line was, you know, really effective with him on the wing as well. We know that when he came into the league in 21 22 after his Minnesota Duluth season ended, he played in 16 games, played the wing, had nine points, five goals, and four assists. This year, in 20 games that he's played at center, he's got one goal and three assists for four points and that one game at wing where I thought he was really effective. And I think the notion is that if you're a really good 200 foot player, you need to be a center, but there are good defensive wingers in this NHL. Would you like to see him on the wing going forward? I I think it's part of it's the byproduct of center depth at the position. What's better for the collective team or do you want, you want to get this player going offensively and putting him on the wing could do exactly that. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the the death piece of it is certainly a big part of it. Um, you know, you have I, I think I think there's somewhat the way that they've been using centers. I think there's a little too much redundancy of the position, and obviously, obviously, there's no such thing as it's, you know it's bad to have a two way center. I'm not saying that, but there wasn't enough there wasn't enough offensive jam and creativity, and you can always get better on the forecheck too. One of the things that one of Kate's best assets, um, and you know, for for all all the good things he did as a center last year, one thing you lose a little bit is he's a very good F one, very good first guy in on the forecheck. Totally agree. Set talked about this on yesterday's episode. Yeah, yeah. So he, he he gets in there and he creates a lot of turnovers, creates a lot of pressure. Good um, stick. Very very quick, very quick stick, and uh, he can get to the net too. You know, as, as a as a center, you. 
you have to always be defensively conscious. So you got to be be ready to leave the offensive zone to come back and help your D. Um, and you know you're usually the last guy to leave the defensive zone as, as you're breaking out. So um, you know, and he does all those things well. I mean, it, it, it's vital that you have guys that do that. I mean, nobody does it better than Sean Couturier. So you have that right up, right off the top of your lineup. Um, Ryan Palling's a good two-way center too. Mm-hmm. So you have you know he has that he has an element of speed. You know you have Scott Lawton who can play center or wing. You have um, Kate who can play center or wing, and so that that gives you some flexibility. I I, I like him on the wing. I'd like to see him. Uh, you know he was playing third line wing and it worked out well. I thought there was some some chemistry kind of right off the bat there with Joel Faraby. He's played with a little bit. Um, of course, Paling. Was, was there um, as well on that line. But when he was at wing a couple of years ago, uh, he was pretty, not, not exclusively, but mostly with Owen Tippett on one side and Frost in the middle. And that, that trio seemed to really click in terms of the combination, the skills they have. That opens the possibility of trying something like that out again. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing with Cates is he can play, he can play either side. He played the right side uh, mm-hmm. on, on Saturday. And previously he was playing left wing. When, uh, you know, when, when he came up the, the first time around from college. So um, it, it, it opens up a lot of things you can do having one wing. I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that continue. You can always move him back in the middle when you need it. But I think this way you have more variety of things you can do. And, and I think it seemed to, it seemed to bring out that it seemed to bring out more in his game. It seemed to just relax a little bit more on the wing too. I, I think he was putting yeah. a ton of pressure on himself. And I actually think that this helped, at least the first game it did. Yeah, I mean, it, you can have a defense, you know, a defensively responsible winger, but you're right. You know, the center is often playing down, certainly below the top of the circle, yeah. sometimes below the hash marks and below the goal line. And he's usually going to be F3 getting up the ice because the wingers are going to go first. Last forward to leave the zone is the center. So he's usually F3, and I would love to get Cates in on the forecheck. I think he angles guys well. Very well. He can use his stick and board battles really well. And that can create possession in the offensive zone. Um, Bill, it seems like, you know, when it comes to lineup changes, at least up front, it's frost in, brink out, brink in, frost out. It, it, and it's odd because one's a center, one's a winger. Um, maybe some of it, I know, I know you alluded to this, is predicated on size and team size. And they are on the smaller side. You know, they, the average weight of the Flyers is roughly 194. You look at that team in the Islanders, it's 204. Um, it, can it be as simple as team size and you know, maybe with Cates on the wing, this does open a door to get a crafty center in like Morgan Frost with consistency. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I That's the one downside to uh, the way the Flyers line up on Saturday. I, I did. I was not happy with the, about the part with, with uh, Bobby Brand coming out of the lineup. Yeah. Um, you know, it really, it's not going to kill you to have two small playmaking forwards in the same lineup. Um, it was it was pointed out to me, and I you know I, I was thinking in terms of, of bring Frost because I think you almost have to in the, the eleven games where where Frost has uh, played this season, uh, Brink has only played I think it was in six of them, but in two of them was also where where Sean Couturier was out. He missed a couple games. Yeah. So you in order to have a full complement of forwards, you you had to have both in the lineup. So, but there's also so I, you take those two games with Couturier out. There's only been four times that both guys have been both have been in the lineup on the same night. It's been one or it's been the other. 
Um, I mean, honestly, I think you can think a little more broadly than that. I, I think you need that creativity and you need that distribution and, and uh, you know, creativity in, in terms of creating plays off the walls, creating plays in tight spaces. Power um, play. And then I was going to say, and then most certainly the power play. You yep. saw a little bit on, you know, the Falcons only had one power play on, on Saturday. Um, and as bad as it was on, on Friday, I guess it was almost a break. They, they had the one, they can, <laughs> they can reset that a little bit. Um, it was just, just uh, you know, listen, I mean, the, the Flyers are a quarter of the way into the season. And if it continues at this pace, it'll be the worst power play season in franchise history. So that's something that needs major improvement. But at any rate, on Saturday, they only had one, but they looked pretty good. And Frost on the, on the left half wall was a big part of that. He was yeah. distributing really well, especially across, especially maybe a couple of really nice cross ice um, puck rotations to, uh, where Tyson Forster got open. They didn't they didn't score on them, but they were threatening on those plays. I think that they need that element. You need it on both units. I, I you know I, I don't know the, I don't know you have Brink and Frost on the same unit, but having guys on either unit that can do that, I think is is one of the things that they're they've been missing. Uh, for the most part, but I, so I think, I think all that is necessary. Um, it was, it was pointed out to me because again, I was thinking it in, in terms of, uh, you know, does it have to be frost or brink? Why can't it be both? It was pointed out to me. Well, you know, there's also, there's also the element of uh, both, both brink and Cam Atkinson are, are wingers and they're yeah. both, they're both very small wingers. And so maybe the, you know, there, there's a piece of that too. Okay, you have Brink and Frost and Atkinson. They have a very small uh, portion of the lineup between the three of them. So that's prob that probably enters in the figuring too. But I mean, honestly, I, I think I think you got to just as much skill as you can in your lineup. Yeah, I, I think when I think of the power play too, in in watching it now through this first part of the season, um, it's become apparent to me that you have to run it off the half wall. To me, I I feel like there's no preference to run it high or off the half wall. Yeah. And, you know, they had Sean Walker on the power play in the game on Friday. Yes, yeah. and, and to me, he's just, he's just not a power play player. He's had a really yeah. good season. You know, there was a play in particular that he made where he gathered a puck in the neutral zone and dumped it back in before his team had exited the zone. Yeah. And that's just one of those things that you can't do on the power play. You have to maintain possession, yeah. regroup and reattack. Yeah. Um, but but where are we on, you know, Cam York is a guy that played a lot of power play at all levels. Um, he's had some power play time, obviously, this year. None of it's been successful, no matter who it's been. But to me, you got to work through it with Cam York. I, I, I could not agree more. You know, the Flyers had 12 full minutes of power play time, 0 for 6. Sometimes, you know, sometimes power, the number of power plays you have in a game can be deceptive. There's... Uh, you know, the, partials chopped up partials yeah. you know you might have you might have six power plays but three of them are broken up with uh you know, four on four time or or whatever so this is 12 full minutes and in the those 12 minutes of power play time uh cam york was the answer for 14 seconds and i'm not even i'm not saying i think the flyers power play issues go way beyond well why is it this guy out here and you know why aren't you working more plays uh from from yeah, from below the goal and from behind the net, through varying varying the looks, right? Double screens, whatever whatever kind of structural tweaks or, or this why is this guy there? Why is this guy not there? The, it's not really about that in terms of the success. They they have so many things they need to fix. 
But I think in a year that one of the express goals is development, finding what you have in players, taking your young players that, that you view as part of your future and and developing them further, getting them out in situations. Um, you know, I, I Sean Walker is not the future in your power play. Um, uh, certainly, you know, certainly Nick Steeler doubling up Cam York in power play time in a game is, is not what I think the Flyers should be doing. I mean, you know, it was, and, and it's not whether it's not whether on a given night and Nick Steeler get, got out there for 30 seconds, but I'm saying that as an overriding goal for the season, I, I want to see Cam York out there on a game in and game out basis for 14 seconds out of 12 minutes, especially when you're struggling. I think that that's that's not you know that's not the steps you need to be seeing this year, um, and it's not even about results. It, it's about development. Yeah, Bill. The other thing, I mean, they run a one-three-one power play, and I just and unless you're you have a very commanding point man that can get shots through, or you have a, a really good high-level playmaker on his on the half wall, i.e., like Drew and his yeah. you know in his time here in Philadelphia. I don't know. Maybe you got to move to an overload or, or something different because it's it's obviously um, just not getting results. Um, yeah. This week, Bill, it, you know they're in the run of this divisional matchups. It was going to be eight straight games, and we got a couple more this week or three more this week, technically speaking. You know, two to round out the month of November. Carolina on Tuesday at Wells Fargo, then Thursday. We're going to get our first look at the New Jersey Devils, who've been really up and down this year, kind of like a toilet seat. And then uh, we'll start off the month of December with a home and home with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, but these games are are really important to maintain positioning because, you know, while they've won uh, a lot of games, they've seen a lot of the West so far. Yeah. And they've gathered a lot of points off the West to where they are. But ultimately, it's going to come down to what you do in your division in the Metro. And they're right in the teeth of that right now. Yeah. You, you look at the standings right now. Uh, the Rangers are running away with it a little bit right now for the top spot. Then you look at the, the next batch of spots, and everybody is close until you get to to the bottom with Columbus. So first spot is is uh, you know not close. Uh, the the race to the race at the bottom, the, the next rung up from there right now is not too close. But but everywhere everywhere in between uh, is really a, a dogfight, and I think it. It could be that way all year. I think it'll be that way all year, as a matter of fact. Um, So those divisional games, those so-called four-point swing games, are are critical. And your record in your division will go a long way towards determining, are you fighting for a wild-card spot? Or are you on the bubble trying trying to get up to the lower wild-card spot? Or or are you looking by by New Year's at, uh, okay, What's our plan here now as we get closer towards the trade deadline and the stretch drive? Um, and the, so the, this next four to six weeks are really going to determine, even if the Flyers aren't buyers of the deadline, are they going to be sellers, right? And so these divisional games are going to go a long way towards determining how competitive you are in, in this race because I I don't think if the Flyers are, are um, even, even on the bubble, even if they're on the cusp, of contending for one of the wild card spots, even the lower one, I, I don't think you're going to see wholesale changes. Whereas if the Flyers lose a bunch of these divisional games and, and they fall kind of back where they were 
last season in the standings. I, I think that's going to be the case, and it may be that case. Uh, maybe not just even at the deadline. It may be from you know maybe about f- four weeks before because what ends up happening sometimes is you get close too close to the deadline. Flyers found that out the hard way last year. Um, you know, as moves get made, you don't want to be the one who who ends up not moving the guys you're looking to move. Yeah, you don't want to be the last one standing without a chair. Now, yeah. in that situation, we did see that last year. I mean, some of the some of the more shocking storylines this year. Obviously, Edmonton is an enormous one, but the New Jersey Devils, uh, despite the season that Jack Hughes is having, nine nine and one through nineteen games, yeah. sitting in the seventh spot of the division, only three points up on the Columbus Blue Jackets, who have been putrid. Now they played three less games than the Blue Jackets, but still. Um, it's been a really disappointing season thus far for the Devils. We'll see if they can get it together, but the Rangers right now with the highest points percentage in the league, and they look every bit legit um, without cert- well, for sure. All right, Bill, one last thing before we get out of here. We've got the alumni game coming up and the crazy eight sale. Tell everybody about this. Yeah, uh, really, really cool thing. Uh, the Of course, the alumni game and the reunion of the, the Stanley Cup teams uh, are going to be January 26th and 27th. The 26th is the alumni game, the 27th uh, before the Flyers, the current Flyers play the current Bruins. Uh, Mark Reckie is being inducted into the uh, Flyers Hall of Fame. So on the on the 26th, uh, they're having what they, the Flyers are calling the Crazy Eight sale because the Crazy Eights line of, of Reckie and Eric Lindros and Brent Fedek will be reunited in, in that alumni game. So for start on on Black Friday, it, it ends today on, on Cyber Monday. Um, for the, the alumni game, uh, all upper level seats are only eight bucks a piece, Ooh. and uh, the all lower level seats are the pack of four of them for eighty eight dollars. So you're not going to find you know, you're not going to find a, a better deal than that out there anywhere. Uh, and the, the, the group of players that's lined up for the for the alumni game uh, is, is amazing. Um, obviously the crazy eights line will, will be back together. Uh, so two thirds of the Legion of doom because Lindros will skate some shifts with John LeClaire. Um, so, so Johnny will be there. Um, Patrick Sharp will be there. It'll be Mike Richards returned to a flyers uniform for the first another time. 18, another eight. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Another, another crazy eights kind of thing going on with that one. Didn't even think about that. Um, you know, Mike Mike Canubo is going to be there. Kimo Timonen, Mark Mark Howe. It'll be the the final the final time that uh, Joe Watson plays. Joe, I don't uh, believe it. I don't believe I, it. I, I, I've I, I've just been teasing about it nonstop because he's no the way. only person who's worn a Flyers uniform in, in seven different decades, and Joe always says this is the last time. Yep. The, the next time one rolls around, there there's Joe out there again. But yep. Joe says Joe says this this will be the the last time. Um, Joe celebrated his 80th birthday this year, and they said, "No, oh, you know, I, I this this is going to be it." So, um, and which is, pre- I mean, it's pretty pretty neat to have somebody who was from those Broad Street Bullies Cup teams, you know, actually still playing. So yeah. really nice to play. I, I think the the only one any alumni team was still playing who was playing way back in the 60s. So that's uh, that that's a pretty cool touch. Um, again, you have the uh, the reunion of the Stanley cup teams, all, all the living members of the Flyers two Stanley cup teams will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it'll be, it'll be a great, great night on the, on the Bruins side, Ray Bork will be captaining them. Um, one of, one of, one of the best of the best, um, yeah. Al Ifrady will be, will be on their side too. So, so you know, one, one thing, that, you know, the, the legs leave you, but one thing that never goes away is the hands. 
those guys the guys who could shoot could still shoot yeah um, and bork was it you know remember the sharp shooting in the all-star game where four for four for four yeah four for four every year yeah and, and then i afraid had one of the biggest bombs yes. ever i mean that guy with yeah. a wooden northland could just bomb it over bomb 100 it. absolutely oh. bomb it. yeah and who uh, said he's not going to play if he's using one of the sticks up today? He'll bomb it like one thirty. Oh, yeah, with, with all the whip on the stick, and you oh. get an extra, you get an extra fifteen miles an hour on it. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that it's a great, great group of players. Now the the VIP reception on the twenty sixth is not included. That that's an add on to the tickets, but I, that's something too that I think uh, it, that's really a once in a lifetime thing because there will be, I believe, about fifty five Flyers alumni, all the Cup team guys. All the guys from the, who are playing in, in the alumni game, uh, other Flyers, the Flyers Hall of Famers like Brian Prop will will be there at that. So it's a great place to take photos, get um, you know, get autographs, and it, it, basically hang out for an hour with a who's who uh, of Flyers hockey. So it'll be it'll be a great, great, great night. And I said you're not you're not going to be eight bucks a ticket or eighty eight for four in the lower level. So that that runs only through Monday. That, that is uh, Cyber Monday today, so everybody get those tickets. Go to PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Make sure you read Bill's stuff also at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And we will uh, preview Flyers Kings on tomorrow's episode. So join us then for a brand-new Flyers Daily.